So I'm going to be reading from Psalm 90. And would all of us, adults and kids alike, listen with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return to dust, man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, good morning and welcome here. This is, we are in kind of a a new season here at Ironworks. We do this every uh, year in the month of January. We take a break from our regular journey through a book of the Bible, and we revisit some themes related to the new year. Uh, and then related to where Ironworks is specifically. And this is one uh, passage that I frequently go to uh, at the beginning of the year because it references such time. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about what kinds of things I would like to see happen in my own life in 2019, and I wonder about you. I wonder what kind of, we call them resolutions, have been made in 2019. Now, I wonder if any of the kids know what a New Year's resolution is. This is more advanced than full duplex. So I'm going out on a limb here. Does any kid know what a New Year's resolution is? Thank you. Yes. Go ahead. What your goal is for the year. Very good. Yeah. So it's typically something to change about your life that you believe will make your life better. So kids, what I want you to do is write down one thing you would really like to see happen this year. Okay? Right? One thing you would really like to see happen. Now, uh, there are some stereotypes of New Year's resolutions. In fact, uh, I found a list on GoSkills.com that listed these as the top 10 resolutions. Number one, exercise more. Number two, lose weight. Number three, get organized. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Number five, live life to the fullest. Number six, save more money and or spend less money. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, spend more time with family and friends. Number nine, travel more. And number 10, read more. Uh, 
And uh, whether these at all represent some goals that you have, or perhaps you might have different goals, uh, one thing that goes without saying is that none of these things are an end in themselves, right? None of the goals that you may have set for yourself, if you simply accomplish that, uh, that's all there is. It's always for something else. And this is how one philosopher expressed it. He said this, he said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it. It is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. Right. So it goes without saying, but I, I would like to make it explicit, that the things for which you desire for yourself, I, I would hope at least, <laughs> ultimately are there because you believe that you will have an increase in happiness if those things happen. And friends, to that effect, uh, I will go ahead and restate that my goal as a pastor, right? if you consider yourselves part of Ironworks Church or you're thinking about becoming part of Ironworks Church, who I am as a pastor, my goal, what I would like to see happen, uh, is for your joy to be greater at the end of 2019 than it is right now. That's one of, the, one of the main goals I have in my life, right? So we are very much aligned in uh, our desire for the ultimate goal, which is your joy. But there is one question, which is what kinds of things might you do that will most likely result in that joy being increased, right? In, in other words, it's possible that we might have some of the wrong resolutions. We might be pursuing things or pursuing them in such a way that that end goal that you and I are in complete agreement, complete unity, the thing that we both long to see happen in your life is nowhere near taking place, right? So what I'm hoping to do in our passage today is to look at what one of, uh, I think, the wisest people who's ever lived has to say about this subject. Uh, this psalm is written by Moses. It's the only psalm written by Moses. And most likely, it was written towards the end of a very full uh, life, a life lived with God, and a life lived uh, seeing extraordinary things. And I'm going to break out our teaching this morning under these three headings. Number one, we live in God. Secondly, we suffer away from God. And then thirdly, where joy is found, or otherwise titled, the return of joy. So let's look at it together. Number one, we live in God. Look at verse 1 with me, if you would. This is Moses, who is beginning a prayer and a, and a greater reflection. And this is what he says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, when Moses writes this, it's helpful to understand, if you're not familiar with kind of old, uh, some of the stories of the Bible, Moses' job was to lead God's people to a place to live. They were homeless right? They were wanderers. They, you know, were beatniks, kind of going around, looking for a place to live. And that was his goal in life, was to bring them to what's called the promised land. That's what he wanted, right? Moses himself would not enter, but the people he led would. But as he's reflecting in this prayer, with that goal in mind, he says, you know, it's actually not the place that we're seeking, because, God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You see, what I think Moses is doing here is he's taking a step back from the immediate goals 
and he's looking beyond them to say, what, what do those goals represent? What does a good land free from enemies, filled with resources, what does that represent? And he looks beyond it and he says, you know, our dwelling place has always been in God. And kids, um, you might be familiar with uh, how this was represented. Does any of the kids, you guys remember stories of Moses? Anyone remember Moses? So Moses, good young man. Moses would lead God's people, but he wouldn't do it by himself. He had actually God's presence there with him. And you know what that presence showed up as? Showed up as two things, right? Showed up as fire by night and a cloud by day. Right? That's how God would show them where to go, fire by night and a cloud by the day. And so, kids, what I want you to do is draw yourselves following this great and massive fire, okay? Because that's how his people were led. And Moses says, ultimately, God, you are our dwelling place. And friends, I, I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you are ultimately seeking as you seek that happiness and that joy that we described? How is it that you believe would be the closest thing that you could do and arrive at that? I have an interesting story uh, in one of Tim Keller's most recent books called Making Sense of God. He writes about uh, atheist Barbara Ehrenreich, uh, who was best known for her seminal work, Nickel and Dimed. She wrote a memoir titled Living with a Wild God, which centers on a life-changing mystical experience she had in May of 1959 as a 17-year-old. You see, Barbara had begun a quest at the age of 13 to find answers to the questions such as, what is the point of our brief existence? And what are we doing here and to what end? Ehrenreich was raised by atheist parents, and her, and her efforts to answer these questions were carried out on a strictly rational basis. This led her into what she calls the morass of solipsism. She felt there was no way to know right from wrong or true from false. But then at the age of 17, on an empty street just before dawn, she says, I found whatever I had been looking for since the articulation of my quest. It was an experience that, as others have also said, could not be described. Here we leave the jurisdiction of language where nothing is left but the vague gurgles of surrender expressed in words like ineffable and transcendent. There were no visions, no prophetic voices or visits by totemic animals, just this blazing everywhere. Something poured into me and I poured out into it. This was not the passive, beatific, merger with the all, as promised by the Eastern mystics, it was a furious encounter with a living substance. Ecstasy would be the word for this, but only if you acknowledge that it does not occupy the same spectrum as happiness or euphoria, but that it can resemble an outbreak of violence. So that's uh, the one, one person who had identified as an atheist for a long time. It was her articulation of this experience that she had and I read that because I think that it's actually in some ways similar to what Moses is doing here and to what I actually would like to invite you to consider taking some time today to do. Moses says this. He says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And then he reflects on such things. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And friends, I want to invite you, wherever you are, whatever category you saw fall under this morning, 
whether you're filled with good things, whether you're in a dark place, whether you're here with faith, whether you're here with no faith, I want to challenge you and invite you to take a few moments today to consider who God is, that he has no beginning, that he has no end, that he's eternal, that he is the one who formed the world, that he brought forth the mountains. Take a few moments to sit under that reality and to see how it might change you. It's interesting, Tim Keller has a number of stories in his book, actually, of uh, folks who identify as atheists and yet have these experiences and they don't know what to do with them. Because the way in which they see the world, that, there is, that everything that happens is simply, everything that we feel is simply the result of some chemical reactions going on in our bodies, in our brains, in our blood, but that that explanation cannot account for the questions of who created the world, why are we here, is there any meaning to the things that we do? And Moses reflects back and he says, God, you have, we've ultimately always been seeking you. In fact, Paul will re repeat this uh, sense in Acts 17. He'll say, in God we live and move and have our being. One pastor says, you were created by God and for God, and until you understand this, life will not make sense. So that's Moses' first point as he's reflecting on uh, what things for which he longs. He reflects on who God is, and he notes that it is ultimately God that we are seeking. And friends, that is the Christian answer, by the way, that whatever it is that you believe will result in the greatest increase of joy. The scripture says, the thing underneath everything that you long for is ultimately God himself, because you were created by God and for God. That's the first thing. So we, we find our life in God, Moses says. And on the other side, we suffer away from God. We suffer away from God. And so Moses, almost just as quickly as he considers who God is, that God is from everlasting to everlasting, he contrasts his own experience with that. And look at the words he says here. He says in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. He says, You sweep them away with a flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. Now, kids, I wonder, any, any of the kids uh, have a dream last night? Anyone? How many had a dream last night? Okay. How many? We're not going to ask you to share just yet. Um, how many of you remember your dream? Okay. How many of you had a dream last week? How many of you remember exactly what that dream was about last week? All right. I'm a little skeptical. Well, how many adults remember what they dreamt last week? Right? Uh, it's one of the characteristics of dreams is that one of the most frustrating things about dreams is that they're so difficult to remember most of the time, just a day or two later, that they vanish like that. And what Moses is saying is, when, we, when he sits there under a full life, under an, ex, an extraordinary set of experiences, seeing the sea parted, seeing the plagues of Egypt, seeing this journey with God's people through the desert, he sits in reflection on his own life, on his own experiences, and on who God is, he says, you know, we are here for just a moment. We are a dream. And friends, I've, I've been looking at this clock uh, better about half of this week. 
right? Because this clock is, uh, according to one website, it's how long Darren Pesnell has left. And I tell you, it's actually been a very uh, therapeutic exercise as I've looked at that, because it's very easy for us, uh, particularly when, you know, I'm, I'm turning 40 in a couple weeks, um, and I think that's like a different, it's sort of like where, where you begin to think differently about it, but it's easy to worry only about things like, are we healthy? Do we have money in the bank? Is food on the table? Do we have a place to live? When in reality, the most precious resource we have every second is ticking away. Right? Every second. And so I had this clock up on uh, my screen, and so every I would switch windows and uh, glance at it and then just reflect on it periodically. And that's because, friends, Moses says here, he says, you know, we, we were not meant to be a dream. We were not meant to be something momentary. But we are that. And he uses this language in verse 7 because of anger, or another uh, language for it is enmity. We are but a moment. We are, our lives are characterized by temporality, by death, because of the relationship that we have with our Creator. Right? So uh, what Moses is doing is he's reflecting on Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are created as people who would live forever, who would never know death, who would never know strife, who would never know thorns, who would never know cancer, right? who would never know a hospital room. And they're offered the ability to experience a life without God, without his oppressive rules, was the offer. They say yes to that, and in that experience, thorns start to grow out of the roses, Right? They don't trust each other anymore. They know shame. And what God has said was, he said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. It doesn't happen that they fall down that moment, but every part of their existence would be familiar with the approaching of the end of our lives. That's what Moses says. And as he reflects on that, he says, you know, you have to understand that to understand how to thrive in 2019. You want to understand, you want true joy in 2019, right? You want to understand how to pursue that. It comes from recognizing this clock for your own life and then making decisions in relationship to this, right? What, what is it that will bring us that joy that we deeply long for? Well, Moses paints a very realistic uh, picture. Maybe it resonates with some of you. This is what he says. He says, uh, in verse 10, he says, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. He says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. It's interesting, uh, this language, I, I've preached this passage a number of times. I learned something new in this uh, preparation for it. This language of toil and trouble is actually different than I had understood. This word for toil, the Hebrew root for this, doesn't simply mean hard work, right? Because it's good to work hard, right? It's, it's a good, and we were designed to work hard. This word, toil, though, describes hard work that is characterized by worry. Hard work that is characterized by worry. And so what is Moses saying? He says, you know, our lot in life, part of the experience that we have is that our work isn't just difficult, isn't just you know, frustrating at times, but it's always accompanied 
by the worry, will there be provision for me? Will things be good? Will I have those things for which I long? Right, see what Moses is getting at is he's saying, in order for us to pursue this joy that we long for, we have to recognize that there is something profoundly broken about our experience. And his answer for that is that we live with a profound ignorance and disconnect to the source, right? We live with a profound uh, disconnect from the source of the joy for which we long, right? That we are created to live in God and for God and in close communion with him and going all the way back to the Garden of Eden and that act that you and I repeat on a daily basis as we reject God's authority in our lives, as we walk away from him, as we ignore him, as we live in complete sometimes ignorance of him, when we do that, the only thing we experience is toil and trouble and work characterized by worry. It's interesting. This was said uh, actually to Adam in the garden. Its language was this. It said, by the sweat of your brow, you will work the ground. And that sweat was not the sweat of hard work. It was the sweat of anxiety. And so friends, I want to actually make this really personal for you and I this morning. I want you to answer this in your own minds. What is it that you're worried about right now? As you think about 2019, what do you fear the most? I want you to acknowledge that silently in your head. We'll come back to it. Right? What is it that you fear the most? Now, kids, what I want you to do is try to represent this. As we said that uh, we, the is, people of Israel followed the fire. Do you guys remember that? You guys draw good fires? Awesome. So the next thing I want you to do is draw yourselves uh, in a dark room. And instead of a fire, there's just a little tiny candle or a little spark. Right? Because that's showing that uh, the things for which we um, loathe about our lives ultimately come from a disconnect that we have with God. Now, I want to be very clear about something. Moses is not saying, and I'm not saying, uh, that every negative thing that we experience is a direct result of something we've done. That's not at all what he's saying, right? What he's saying is that because we as a people, the human race, have collectively chosen to walk away from God, that we know all of these things for which we loathe, sickness, sorrow, strife, suffering, and death. And the reason is because of this disconnect that we have with God. Now, if that is the case, then what does that mean for us as to how to have the best life in 2019? How might you and I have the best life in 2019? Well, I think Moses actually gives us a sense of this uh, in this most contrasting statement. He says, um, the span of our lives, in verse 10, is but toil and trouble. And then he goes on to say, in verse 14, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Can anyone explain that to me? Our days are toil and trouble, worry and toil and trouble and pain and sorrow and difficulty. And then he says, but God, my request is that you would satisfy us in such a way that we may rejoice all our days. Which of, which of those is true, I wonder? Right? What is he saying? Friends, the only thing that he can be saying is that even in a world like this, even in a world where those counters are real, there is a joy that is possible. 
I wanted to tell you that, that there is a joy that is possible, even in this world. That's why Moses prays for it. He says, our days are toil and trouble, but if you, if you will do something, our days can be characterized by rejoicing and gladness. Now, how does that happen? Well, uh, Moses envisions, in verse 13, he says this. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity or have mercy on your servants. You see, Moses, I don't think fully understood, but he prays prophetically for an experience where even though the human race has turned its back on God, has gone away from him, has rejected him over and over and over again, including this morning by your pastor, Darren Pesnell, at least five times, that nevertheless, it is not so audacious to ask for God's mercy, his nearness, and his joy. And Moses believes that that is possible. Uh, I believe that this is uh, referenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. As he comes, he meets the people of Samaria, and he had been famished. Uh, His disciples go to town to get something to eat, and Jesus starts watching people, uh, even people that would have been incredibly far from God. He watches them draw near to God. And his disciples say to him, you know, we have your food, we want you to eat. And he says, you know, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That he is utterly and profoundly and even physically satisfied in that moment as he had been no doubt famished from this massive journey. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, the thing that is satisfying me at this moment, is to see the will of my Father done. You see, what Jesus was doing, I believe, was experiencing what Moses prayed for in that psalm, that he was experiencing the same thing that he was offering to the people of Samaria. If you remember that encounter in John chapter 4, Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will give them water that will never go away, that will, a spring of water that will never end. It won't be momentary, it will be permanent. The thing that you long for is the thing that I offer. If you knew that, you wouldn't be wasting your time with Other questions, you would be saying, give me this water. That's what Jesus said. And I believe, friends, that that is the same reality for which Moses prayed. And so it stems, therefore, friends, that the joy for which you and I long, the thing for which our children long for, whether they understand it or not, is nothing short of a life lived in communion with God. That's where, it, that's where it'll happen, friends, right? A life lived in communion with God. And how I, as I close, how might we pursue that? How might you and I, wherever you are on this spectrum of faith in, uh, in Christ, where might you and I pursue this this year? Now, I'm going to give you four uh, suggestions. Number one, if we look at Moses' experience himself, how does he pursue it? Answer, he prays. He takes time to consider who God is, who he is. He reflects and he prays. And friends, I want to tell you that I I would plead with you up on your list of resolutions, right? Maybe even before the gym. Uh, John Rose was asking on Facebook the other day, he's like, I wonder if Planet Fitness is open on January 1st. And I wrote back, I'm pretty sure that's a good day of business for them. (laughs) It's the only day that I go and then I pay for the whole year. Just kidding. Um, I've stopped doing that. Um, right? But I hope that before that is to have a deeper sense 
of who God is in prayer. I want to actually recommend, we're going to post this in the sermon notes. There's a book that is uh, incredible for that. It's called Seven Days with Jesus. And it's a very simple book walking you through the Lord's Prayer and giving you sort of a way to pray over seven days. And I'll tell you that the book was written, actually, for those of us here today who don't have any experience with the Bible, don't even consider ourselves Christians. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, but you're interested in learning more about Christian faith, one of the very best ways you can learn more is to actually try praying. So I encourage you to get that book. We'll be posting it in the sermon notes. That's the first thing. That's what Moses is doing. The second thing that Moses recommends is found in verse 12. Is where my counter was motivated by. He says this. He says, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. And friends, I know it's kind of painful. I know it's awkward. So why I have the counter up on this screen, right? Because it's what Moses says must be done in order to live well, right? It puts all sorts of things into perspective when you take some time and you look at those seconds clock by. He says, number, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The third thing that he says is to look at our work, to look at the kind of work we're doing and to consider what we ought to be doing. So look with me, if you would, at verse 17. He says this, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You see, Moses envisioned that through God's special interaction, that we can be involved in work that will actually last all the way to eternity. Right? No matter what your vocation is, vocations are wonderful things, right? no matter what your vocation is, you and I have the ability to be involved in work that won't be temporary. Right? I remember I had one project that was very difficult uh, for me and for my family because I was traveling, I was working all sorts of hours, it was very stressful. And we finally completed this project, and uh, in less than a year, the company was sold, and every single thing we did was undone. That's the way it is, right? Much of the time. But there is work that can be established, and Moses envisions that happening when we do so under the favor of the Lord our God. And friends, um, the New Testament will make this clear that the work to which he is referring it's the kind of work that I'm pleading with each and every one of us to be involved in as we take steps to become more intentional with our friends and neighbors, to take an interest in them, to try to listen better to them, to be hospitable to them, and to ask them and offer where we are on the questions that matter most in life. Well, and lastly, and most importantly, the way in which we will seek and pursue communion with God is to take a fresh look at Christ crucified. You see, the story of the Christian faith is that God would answer Moses' prayer for joy that will never end by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to absorb the penalty for the disconnect. You see, Jesus comes to earth. He lives the life that we should have lived. He then goes on to die the death that we should have died. He suffers even under the kind of anxiety that has been described as he sweats drops of blood in the garden, approaching the weight of the sin of the world. But he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever believes in me, I will give endless supply of water. And then he describes in the book of Revelation, the kingdom that is to come, and he describes it in this way. 
He says that a place is, is coming, a time is coming, where there will be no more sin, no more suffering, where every tear will be wiped away, where death and sadness will be no more, where God will be our God, and we'll be, we will be his people. And friends, I plead with you, uh, as we look at that clock, as we look at our lives, to consider our lives not just uh, in the 70 or 80 years we have, but into the time in that city that is coming, and to place our hope and our longing and our work to that end. So kids, what I want you to do as your last drawing is I want you to draw a beautiful city, and in the middle of it is a sun that never goes out. The light of Christ is never dim in that place. Let me pray for you.